0: Hello, this is Michael Fisher, a.k.a. The Mr. Mobile, a.k.a. Captain Two Phones, and you're listening
1: to The Scene World Podcast. So, welcome to The Scene World Podcast.
0: That's what we are. (coughs) Yeah. Still one again.
1: Exactly. So, in a minute... I will be talking to Joseph Lewandowski, second part. We had him before in 2015, the Atari Mm. dig. Yeah. And Richard Griffith. Mm. Richard Griffith is the guy he mentioned that he met and um, that is known for restoring VCS Ataris in their pristine way. Really? To look like new. Yes. And we will talk with both of them about those those stories. So, but before we do that, I have some news. He has and news. Um, I've
0: got I got nothing. I've been, I've been oh, okay. in 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 the forest for about six okay. months, and I have okay. no idea what's going on anywhere.
1: But for the next for the future for the next interview next week, perhaps you can prepare. Ho-
0: hopefully, I will be back in my normal. Um, my, my 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 normal scene étude. I'm, yeah. I'm more. I'm getting there. I'm getting slowly. I'm, I'm crawling yeah. back up.
1: Okay. Well, so uh, number one is um, good old games. GOG is now allowing multiplayer games to be in their store. Is that what GOG and, stands for? Uh, good old games. GOG. I didn't did, did know that. I, did, I I thought it was just GOG. Good old games. Okay. Anyway the store that is mainly selling cyberpunk or old retro games Mm -hmm. DRM-free. And now they're also allowing multiplayer games, which which caused some retro YouTubers to say they will not cover the service or suggest it anymore. Because having multiplayer games is in contrary to their statement that they only would allow DRM-free games because Online games obviously have DRM because otherwise, how would you check that somebody is not using illegal versions and stuff? So, anyway, for me personally, I will just see and look how how things are turning out. I would not automatically say that GOG now turns evil because of that. We'll Uh, see how I I mean, I mean, we're talking digital
0: rights management. Right? So so we're saying yeah. that people are annoyed that they they, they, they were saying that they were gonna be selling games without any of that digital rights management and now that they're doing multiplayer they need to make sure that the multiplayer that the that the, that the game that is being played in and betwixt betwixt two people in different locations. Was downloaded from the GOG store, which makes sense well, because if or I or if I downloaded it from Steam, yeah. it shouldn't. It's not going to work on GOG.
1: Well, the way how it was so far, if you had games that were downloaded from different versions, like Cyberpunk multiplayer, it would still work because
0: because it's, it's own servers.
1: It's the same server, yeah. Right, I don't know right, how it but... works in this. Re- but i would think um, with like this, a, think. a
0: lot of older games you know like you know you, you know like the retro kind of stuff mm. you know they 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 have to basically build a back end in which you and i you in germany and me in the us could play this game together mm. yeah and... that's
1: true there are only a few exceptions where um the old uh, westwood servers are no more mm-hmm. but the domain of the link in the game forwards to um, to a community right. server. Right. Uh-huh. There there it was done on the domain side, but you're right, most most games would have to be patched right. to allow different servers. Right. Yeah. Because those old games do have functionality for multiplayer internet sometimes, mm-hmm. but the servers are down by now
0: yeah right right so it does it makes sense that they would want to that that they would like want to digitally sign these games so that they work properly it's not i don't think it's an issue of them like deliberately trying to screw people or or lock them into a platform or something it's it's trying to deliver an experience which you can't get
1: otherwise because cheating is a big issue yeah in in online games unfortunately well, they they never they never really stated details in the forum post.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess that's about to um, be found out. Oh, okay. Well, so the other news is the 4 movement only museum. So the um, the flipper and arcade museum mm-hmm. is actually having something called Farmscom next year in September. And the place are limited, okay. So it's a meeting for bloggers, for German bloggers, retro bloggers. So now we and do to the um, limited, exclusive kind of thing. Sign up quick if you want to be a part of that. You gonna go? We will link to that. Will you the, be?
0: You'll be will you be attending?
1: I have. I've not decided yet, but. Um, I guess we will see how things go um how about the rules and so on on they don't know how of course corona will develop in the future so that's to be pending
0: oh I know how it's gonna develop it's gonna suck
1: I mean, there are modified vaccines now. Yeah, yeah, but they're promising to ease things next yeah, year. Let's yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, but there's new strains coming out. They, like you were telling me yesterday, that that we've got one in the U.S. that hasn't gotten to Germany yet, but it's only yeah. a matter of time. Hmm. We will see. We will see. Anyway,
1: yes, and the my and, my aunt um, has
0: COVID. My my, you know, it 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 just you think it's over and it's just like nope right before we started this i got a call saying you know I i have to go up um to work uh tomorrow and um there's potential exposure because family members of mine that are up there that have been intermingling one of them has covid and so we don't know we don't know who's been in contact with them we don't know where it's been spread fortunately it doesn't like linger like you know when the person leaves the room you're you're basically fine unless they cough on it a, on, a, on a counter and you rub your eyeball on it you're, you're okay but and i've been lucky so far and so have you i think where we haven't so we far haven't
1: gotten I, haven't ca- ca- I haven't caught it but um I always try to meet people who are vaccinated yeah. and tested before the meeting. I've been, or yeah, I've been like two people at months.
0: I've been triple vaccinated because of my work quattable, job. Quattable, quattable. Yeah, that, that's coming in about a month for me. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, it's kind of a miracle because I kind of, I, I, I work in, in, it might be, a, 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 people may not know it, but I work in healthcare. And I am exposed to this stuff pretty. Oh, recently. you
1: mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah, in a yeah couple yeah. of Interviews. Yeah,
0: in in in. Uh, I'm exposed to it more than I would like to be, and so far I have not gotten it. And I probably just jinxed myself. Next next podcast, I'm going to be coughing away into this mic.
2: <laughs>
0: but but yeah, I mean, it's it's real. It's the stupid thing is that it's really easy not to get. You know, like, I, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's it's just really, it's really, really easy to not get COVID. You just have to be, sta- just don't be stupid. And people can't seem to get that into their heads.
1: Well, as I said, um, so far I was lucky. Yeah. But, uh, well, of course. If I meet somebody at some point and they don't give a shit, it might happen to me too. Right. Yes. At some point. Yes. But I try to avoid it, and so far I went three years without getting it officially. Uh-huh. Perhaps I got it and then notice it. Who knows? You know.
0: Yeah. Well, you've also been pretty much, you know, working remotely. You've been in your in your apartment and whatnot for the past three years, really which is more or less what we've been doing when i'm not when i don't have to go out to work it's it's i I don't go anywhere
1: well i still have to go somewhere as i said yeah right yeah sometimes or something yeah yeah
0: Yeah. but you take precautions you mask up and you do what you got to do you know
1: but i still could get it yes despite that you know Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, they're saying now that the regular uh, N95s aren't, or whatever whatever the European designation is, are not adequate. You want the ones that that really seal. Yes, and it's go called
1: FPPM. Um. um FPPA 2 Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but the ones that which just is, which, the ear yeah, loops. Yeah, I know. I know. The international no.
1: term is N95. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you want you you want the 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 really S fifty
1: two is the German term. Yeah,
0: yeah, you want the really good ones that that like go they not without the ear loops the ones that go around your head and like kind of block off your whole face. That's that's what you want. I, I I I I fortunately have a supply of those.
1: Hmm. Well, as I said here in Germany, since we don't have the new variants yet, the FPP two or N95 masks are still, yeah, um, seen sufficient. Let's see. The problem is if that the situation a, changes. I will let you know. <laughs> well, the problem is
0: that it's it's now we've moved from a a double barrier, like everyone was wearing a mask, right? So so we would meet. I'd have a mask. I need to have a mask on. There's a 99 percent chance that neither of us is getting anything. Now we've moved into a society where it's a single mask, where we're gonna meet up I'm not gonna be masked and you are And that N95 mask is now not adequate To To you know It's still like you know like, like like 70% effective or something But it's not as effective as it was before Because I'm you know Spitting viruses on you And if, and <clears throat> if Some of them happen to you know Squeak through then You know That's that's what happened you know then you get it so just everyone be careful
1: well how we will see how things go yes anyway the third third news would be that the testing tool which is the most famous for RAM testing called memtest 86 plus has now after nine years got a complete rewrite and the final update to version six oh. that means that now it supports the newest kind of RAMs. Okay. Awesome. Yeah.
0: What kind of RAMs are those? Well,
1: DDR four, DDR five. Okay. Is this this is
0: a Windows application or
1: No. It's uh, from what I read it's it's working independently.
0: Oh, okay. okay.
1: I guess you put it on a bootable uh, disk or um, thumbnail drive. Okay, interesting. Okay. And um, the coder in fr- in Belgium actually wrote that uh, the tool will copy itself to different memory location on the fly, so it can uh, then test the memory location it was located on. So, makes okay. sense. Because if you if you do a mem test in Windows, you never can test the whole right. memory, because, right. because <laughs> at some point, has Windows to has there. to yeah. reside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. So the tool is taking care of that, and that's nice. Yes, and last but not least, um, we released a couple of Gamescom videos, interview videos, in the mm-hmm. past weeks. And we will continue doing that in the coming weeks, and there is a playlist called Gamescom 2022 Rewind, no, Replay, Replay, and we will link to that in the podcast description as well. Well, there's an addendum to the news from GOG, good old games, and that is, if you now go to the Epic Game Store client and install the GOG Galaxy 2.0 client from there, even if you already have it installed separately, um, the Epic launcher will do the uh, setup. The setup will actually detect that you already have it installed and overwrite your installation with the latest client. But your games rename and your profile folders remain in the um, GOG. 2.0 Galaxy client, so that's safe. But now, thanks to that, you can go to the GOG.com homepage and actually claim until the 13th of October. So now it's the 27th until the 30th. That's actually three days and claim the free game Genesis Alpha 1 Deluxe Edition via the GOG homepage. There will be a button saying free giveaway and if you you click on that you can actually add it to your account. And the same is valid for Jazz Jackrabbit 2 collection on GOG between October 31st and the 3rd of November. Um, I will also put a screenshot with it. Interestingly, it doesn't give you instructions that you have to do it over the homepage, and it doesn't say that um, it also works with already existing GOG accounts and Epic accounts. Um, and also, it doesn't say you have to go over the homepage. So, super weird. Thanks to the very wonderful uh, support customer service representative from um, the epic store that helped me pretty quickly in the live chat telling me Go to the homepage claim it there and there it works if you go over the store on a new account you only get the game via the GOG store via the client at full price and if you're already a long time user you get it 80% off but of course 80% off is not free so be sure to claim your gifts um, in time in that time frame as written on the screenshot or in the epic store (coughs) and then you will be fine thank you Yes. So that would be it. Thanks for listening to mm-hmm. the news part. Now let's hop to USA <laughs> and um, to, to Alan interview. Exactly. Bye bye. Today we have two guests, and we are talking to Jay Lewandowski for the second time after seven years, actually, and Richard L. Griffiths Jr. Hello, guys. And yeah, that's actually a German last name. I pro- I pronounce it English. And the story happened that Richard, you, he, you, you messaged us at the beginning of the year. You said you want to make a follow up with Joe because you are the guy that met Joe back in the eighties, and you are. No, the person- I didn't meet him in the eighties. I ah. talked to him a few years ago. Over the phone, ah. he had
3: given me his number over eBay when he was selling the Atari Dig uh,
1: cartridges. So I and, and you to, are the person. You are the person. You told me that is restoring Ataris to mint condition, right?
3: Yeah, because he said that there was a guy in Rhode Island that did this for a living that restored Ataris to mint condition, and he made the mention that I had MS. And I told you that I'm the guy he's talking about, but I don't exactly. have MS, I have CP. Ah, okay.
1: For right. palsy. Yeah. Okay, so, well, so now we talk about this. You wanted to talk about the story. So what can you tell us about it? You mean about the restorations I do? Yes, I mean, how I Joe I was involved and stuff.
3: I, I do the restorations for a living. I can literally take an Atari that looks like it's been put through a meat grinder and make it look and smell and perform like it was just pulled from the box. Electronics is my chosen field. But another thing he made a reference to was the fact that the Atari for me, because when I was in Shriners Hospital in Philadelphia, it was located back then on Roosevelt Boulevard. And they had four Atari systems there. Four, four switch Ataris that were wood grain. And then they had a fifth one, which was a six switch wood grain. And the six switch was my first experience with Atari. So they were using them as rehabilitation tools for people. Cause there was one kid that was there that I knew. The kid's name was George Preston. When he came into the hospital, He literally had no fingers or thumb on either hand, but by the time it came time for him to leave, he had two full hands of fingers. For the first time in his life, and he was rehabilitated by the Atari, he was rehabilitated and taught how to use his fingers and get his reflexes, get his hand-eye coordination and everything else. And so the restoration of hand-eye coordination for me was a big part of my Atari experience. But back then I I learned on easy games like Pac-Man and Warlords and Air-Sea Battle.
1: Basically games that uh, Joe took up a couple of years ago. If I, if Uh, I remember correctly, I think the one that,
3: if I remember the totals he gave correctly, I believe the one that was that had the most was defender if i remember the totals correctly i believe defender was the one that there was the most of that was pulled up
2: yeah defender was one of them yeah defender was one of them and then the other one was centipede
3: yeah, and I forget whether it was Centipede that had the absolute most, but directly below it was E.T. for the second largest total. So, personally, personally, I yeah. would love to get my hands on one of them games. I don't care if it stinks or not. It's Atari history. I'd love to get my hands on yeah, one it, of
2: them. You know, the legend was that there were all E.T.'s buried out there.
3: If I remember correctly, weren't you part of the original burial?
2: Yeah, 83, I own the waste company. The other company is the one that actually buried them, but I was the competitor that that took over. In fact, I took over their company.
3: What I find funny is out of all that stuff you pulled up, there was not one single Atari age magazine in there. Not one.
2: No, there was no magazines. There There was components.
3: There was game controllers. What about the red books that had the diamond on the front that had Atari written in it? You know what I'm talking about? No, not really. It was like a red book that had the mosaic border on it, and it showed video games on it, and it had a blue diamond that said Atari in white letters.
2: There was a bunch of books each one of them had there, because, see, Atari claimed that they threw away a bunch of defective product and other stuff that it was just trash from the warehouse, and they claimed it all the way up That one right there that you're holding,
3: that looks like those things... To-
2: what I was saying was is they claimed it was just junk from the warehouse, defective product and trash, a lot of them were in boxes so like, that box doesn't look like it's too badly destroyed I mean, a cardboard box there this one hasn't even been opened up but they were actually it wasn't defective product it was brand new product there's a whole bunch of et's squished together
3: the one thing i didn't care for with the atari game over movie is the one section where you clearly see these people taking and throwing the cartridges and before they hit because if you do a slow-mo Before they hit, there's nothing wrong with the cartridge. But as soon as it hits, the whole thing just splinters like boom. And it's like, why bother to take and have these things be intact when you throw them and all of a sudden they're
2: busted? Most of them are loose, most of them are laying around down there like that. Some people thought they were too clean. Oh, please. From what I understood,
1: from what I understood, the reason why they actually put it to the ground is because stocking them in the warehouse was too expensive. It was cheaper to just put them in a waste dump. That's what I actually read back then.
2: Yeah, they were getting rid of, they cleared out the warehouses because they had 300 employees down there, and 0.2 million games. It wasn't just the 800,000 that made it here. But they claimed it was junk from the warehouse. They didn't say it was brand new stuff. But And again, back in those days, you didn't have a t- cell phones or cameras. Have you ever heard of a
3: place called Best Electronics? Because the guy that operates this out of California, he said that one of the warehouses that he has a whole bunch of new old stock Atari stuff from was an abandoned Atari warehouse out in Sunnyvale.
2: Yeah, yeah there's probably a lot of games. There's a lot of games out there. This was no, I'm talking one
3: about components to take and rebuild Atari systems because he's the guy I go to for the parts like oh, yeah. bezels and uh, circuit boards and switchboards and everything else.
2: Yeah, I know all I do is try to you know, pass them out to people that like 283 of them from the first sale in fact there's a there's one box right there that was one
3: of the reasons why i was trying to get in contact with you because you said you had some you said you had a few items you wanted to send me and i wanted to give you an address finally
2: but what he was talking about earlier was i was wanting to do a second movie on it because the first movie didn't exactly come out the way it was planned it was supposed to be about the legend and about people like richard and I was talking to people, and like Richard and others from all over the world. In fact, from Spain to Germany to Indonesia to Brazil, and they went all over the place. It wasn't just a little local thing. I was more honestly, I'm not a gamer. <laughs> in fact, I did Comic Con, went out to Comic Con, spoke at Comic Con, and I started yeah, it off we have with Comic Con here. Yeah, and uh, I, told them, yeah, I told them. Yeah, I told him basically, I'm not. I was too busy to play games back in those days. But it was the search for that number one urban legend, that treasure hunt, trying to find that thing that everybody was talking about. That was what was so exciting about it was the games are important. Well, at, least, at
3: least that documentary important. actually shut a lot of people up when they were saying, oh, this is just this is something that is, someone just made up. And
2: yeah, and that's what interested me was honestly how it started Discovery Channel. Then another, two days later, a movie company. Three days later, an NYU professor writing a book. And then a couple days later, a movie company. That's the first time I ever Googled it, and that was in 2010.
3: Speaking of that movie, I remember a section of it where you had something in your hands. It was a clear rectangular object that had crossed lines on it. And you laid it down on like a diagram or a paper or something. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm not sure what, what you're talking about on that one. The, but that was the search. It was what it was exciting to me was the search of trying to find them. And uh, when I Googled it, there was three and a half million hits. The whole world was talking about.
1: Did you actually make any progress on doing the second movie? Is that actually happening?
2: What I'm doing right now is uh, where uh, work-wise and everything else, I'm pretty much retired. And, and so I have binders of stories, Richard's stories and many other stories. And it's not just the locals, because what interested me is how did this turn into such a huge urban legend? As Richard said, there was a whole group of people said, it never happened.
3: That was in a group that I'm a member of called Atari Age. It's there. It's called Atari Age. And and people on there are like, stop talking about it. It doesn't exist. The dig never happened.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I was finding. And it was like this. I'd seen them when they dump them in there. I went out there and looked as the truck was unloading. But again, I didn't. I wasn't a gamer, so I really didn't care.
3: I remember reading somewhere that the purpose of them taking and covering the, if they actually did this, covering the games with cement was to prevent what initially happened when they first buried them. Some people were going in there and digging down and grabbing some of the games that were near the top. So they laid the cement down well, before
2: that. They didn't have the security guards out there. They didn't have concrete on it. So teenagers here in Alamogordo were sneaking in there and loading up. In fact, on the very first night, the police department stopped some kids with a Chevy. The police officers were just following the game. So they caught up with the kids. There were so many games. I knew yeah. one guy had a metal shed just full of the games, just piled in there, filled up. So yeah, and so that they did put the concrete. It came out like this if they hadn't put the concrete on them because there was four feet of games, four feet thick of games. And then there was 26 feet of more garbage on top of these games that I had to, we had to dig out. Otherwise, all the goo from that, the solid waste, the tree, the that composing uh, wood and food and everything else would have got to these and destroyed them. And so, it, but the, by putting the concrete, because Atari's game was to make sure nobody, Atari's uh, ever gets them again. And what they actually did was protect them for us to find them. They entombed them with the concrete, which allowed us. In fact, I have cartridges here that have concrete on them. People, some people want those cartridges because it actually supports the legend of the concrete. Well, so- yeah.
1: The reason why you contacted me is you actually told me that you, now you are selling again, some of those cartridges, right?
2: Yeah. They're on eBay right now.
1: I don't know if I'll be able to afford any of those that are on
3: eBay because basically over the past year, I've just gotten, I've just gotten over a two and a half year stint being homeless because I was literally living in a hotel that was paid for by the state for the last two and a half years.
2: Well, Richard, I'll get with you afterwards and we'll take care of it, don't worry about it. We'll make something happen. I have to rebuild my
3: entire Atari collection because I had 165 games that were in storage after I became homeless and somebody busted into my storage locker. Thank God I still have the system. I have the console and the controllers and everything, but they got all the cartridges. They are, every last one of them gone.
1: That's tough, that's tough.
3: Yeah, and you want to know why I had as many cartridges as I did? I was honoring a deathbed promise I made to my father when we lost the original collection of 144 games in a house fire in 91. And I was well over halfway there Rebuilding the collection when all those games were taken from me. Every last one of them.
1: Wow. That's tough. Getting now all those games again. That will be hard work.
3: Yeah, it's going to take me another 11 years. Because that's how long it took to get as many games as I did. I was 12 games away from having all 144. What did you
2: want to say, Joe? Everybody said it was all ETs. And it wasn't. It was There were 62 different titles, actually, in here of different games, from Pele soccer to chess and pinball. I was surprised that Asteroids and Defender made the list, because they were
3: actually good games.
2: They poured the concrete over it, as Richard said, to keep them from people stealing them. And the concrete actually, and it wasn't that thick, but so they put the concrete over it. So each night, the cement trucks would come in and put concrete over it, so that over the night, they couldn't steal them. And then they bring more in because it happened over multiple days, and it's happened just on one day. And but by putting the concrete on it, they actually protected them. Atari wanted them destroyed, but if they had not put the concrete on it, the garbage, the, the decomposing garbage, would have destroyed them and tore the boxes up and damaged everything. But because of the concrete being there as a barrier, it actually protected them from that. And that's why some, in fact, there was people. Online, that were saying, Oh, those look too good. They're not damaged. They've been buried in the garbage for 30 years. They should be really bad, and you can't, shouldn't be anything left of them because the garbage. And that's true if they hadn't put the concrete on them. But that's what actually saved them. Because some of these came up almost like they were just came right out of the truck, slightly bent, but actually just ready to go. My
3: favorite part of the documentary was before you guys actually went into the actual digging and you had that uh, thing that just did, did the holes in the ground and it pulled up part of a newspaper that said September of 83?
2: Yeah, that was the test holes. We, I had to run test holes to see if I was even close. And the problem was that newspaper could have been thrown away two weeks ago or a month ago. So we I wasn't still, when we did the dig that day, when we finally did the dig and let people in,
1: but I still I mean, didn't
2: know if, if we were in the right place or not. Just because we found the one newspaper, it gave me made me feel a little better that we were probably close, but it didn't guarantee that I was there. In fact, when they were going through the dig towards the end of the day, before they came up, I thought I'd missed it, dug in the wrong place.
3: I can imagine when you broke through all that, when you had that thing digging that hole, I can only imagine the stench that came up for you. bottom.
2: Oh, yeah. That's why we had engineers there with their their test equipment and everything else. There was a lot of money spent for the safety of everything because that garbage is not something you want to mess with, something that's been buried for 30 years. So all the precautions were taken to make sure everything was done properly. But in fact, that's how you can tell you have, when you get one of these Atari dig cartridges, We they come with that metal tag, that, that city tag that shows an ID number on it. They come with the certificate, but what re- really tells you how have an Atari dig cartridge is when you open up the Ziploc bag and you smell that cartridge. Even to today, they still have an, o- an odor of them that tells you they were buried under garbage.
3: That's like you go to the uh, the one landfill that's in uh, Berkeley Township, New Jersey. If you go to that landfill over there, you'll probably find all the Atari cartridges that are covered in smoke that were pulled out of the house when my dad's house got fired. <laughs>
2: In fact, I had one one individual who bought one when he got it. And he got it home and he got he opened up his package. He called me up and he wanted to know if they were going to get sick or die because this that was a biologically dangerous. And <laughs> and I said and I told him no, it's not biologically. It's been tested in the labs. It's been tested by the engineers. I paid twelve thousand dollars just in testing alone to test them to make sure they were safe. Uh, and yeah. I told him, uh, if you don't want to keep it and you're worried about it, send it back. I'll give you your money back. And he said, Oh, no, I'll keep it. But <laughs> so he I just was worried about it, his family and a biological.
3: I remember reading from someone in a, I forget what, it was a message board that was on a website called Atari Age. I remember one guy saying he got one of the cartridges from a landfill, and when he opened the package when it arrived, he said that the first thing that happened was his eyes started watering. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, the smell is still there. Anything buried for 30 years is going to have a smell. But in fact, the games were given away to museums right there in Frankfurt, of course. But then, oh. And then also down in Rome, the Vigamous down in Rome. And in fact, they put them on display down there and they put odor eater absorbent things underneath each of them to absorb the smell when they put it on display. If I remember
3: correctly, didn't that dig happen in 2014?
2: The dig was, yeah, April April 26th or somewhere around there, 2014. So you figure in
3: two more years, it'll be 10 years ago it happened.
2: Yeah, it was 10 years. I thought about holding them for two more years, and I decided it was time to sell because the intention was I knew what I had. Uh, Thirteen thir- 1,388 of them came up, and I wasn't after thousands, tens of thousands of them. I didn't really care. It was really just proving the legend. But we did get 1,388. And then from there, I distributed them to, a bunch of them to the museums all over, the, from Frankfurt to Cambridge to Rome to the Smithsonian, Ontario. They're all over the place. Henry Ford Museum. The movie company got 100. Then we sold 800 the first time. And I held back about 283 this time on purpose. I won't sell the whole 283. I'll sell about 150 this time. The rest of them will be kept archived in the museum for history reasons. Uh, those will be held on to. Those won't be sold. So this is the last time they'll be put up, unless somebody that buys one wants to sell it, which I've been watching that over the years too. And nobody is selling. it. There's very few. What Occasionally I'll see a couple of them come up. But out of 800, I don't think I've seen more than a dozen be offered for sale, Mm. which is unique that people are keeping them. They may be selling them privately, but at the same time.
3: If I can ever get myself to a point to where I'm no longer renting an apartment but owning my own home, what I want to do in the basement is I want to create like a time capsule of sorts. I want to create a game room that when people step in there, you'll have the sights, the sounds, the, the TV shows, the music. It'll be like you literally
1: stepped back in time, into a time warp. <laughs> if that happens, the thing is, Joe, you mentioned the museum in Frankfurt. I guess that was the Frankfurt Film Museum where we actually met in 2015. That's the one. Yes, yes,
2: yeah, so for the B three event that was there. Yeah, when I came, when I flew over that time. Exactly the film and
1: games exhibit exhibition. Exactly. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow. and I actually I actually I lived there for 3. I lived in Mainz uh, in Mainz-Gonsenheim for 3 years and my son was born in Wiesbaden. My oldest son was born in Wiesbaden so I knew how to get around when I got there. So it was great, but yeah, that was nice going back. In fact, we were going to go back until COVID hit again. I was wanting to go back over and visit again, but just haven't got around to it now.
1: Hopefully next year, if you happen to come to Germany, let me know, because I'm not living too far from Frankfurt.
2: Okay. Yeah. I actually
1: have relatives in Germany, but I don't know where.
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so it's no it was fine because after I left Frankfurt I actually we drove down to Rome because I did mm. another presentation down in Rome wow. at the beginning okay. mm. yeah so I went down ran down there that same trip I was over there for a couple of weeks mm. but no the, and the story is still strong I still have people coming asking and what Richard and I, all these others to me the story Atari Game Over became a movie about the industry and the programmers. And Howard, who's a great guy, if you ever get a chance to meet him, you'll see what I'm talking about. His story is great and everything else. But a lot of people were a little disappointed because they thought it was gonna be about more than the because in- there's a documentary on Atari already, the rise and fall of Atari. But then it got changed to that, and then the urban legend and all the stories like Richards and these other individuals that told me their stories. And then all the local things that went on here, the teenagers with the pickup truck full, a bunch of other things that went on. There's a whole bunch of stories. Like I said, I got four binders full of stories.
3: I can imagine that those kids that, uh, dug up those garbage back in the day. I can imagine they got a nice little trip to Hall for that.
2: They basically, the police department took them away from them, and they didn't get any of them, <laughs> but they, it was interesting, but it was more about the legend and what the people did and what Atari meant. My other thing on the story was, how did this get to be such a big story? They just buried a bunch of games. Corporate America, corporate all over the world does it. When they have overstock or they have worse stuff and they can't get rid of it, but they do destroy and bury that stuff. That's not unusual.
3: The one guy that was in the movie, I remember, I forget, he was the mayor of Alamogordo at the time, Renschler. Yeah. But he comes out in the one point in the movie and he says, Come on down, we'll bury your game. He's willing to do it all over again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it made some money. It made the story. It made people. Because when we did the dig, every hotel room in Alamogordo was full. The place filled up. You would have thought the president or somebody was in town because there were so many people and cameras here. It was an interesting phenomenon. I
3: remember, I remember they made a big uh, to-do about the DeLorean with the stuff DT in the passenger seat.
2: Yeah, yeah, Klein, the one with Ready Player One, the screenwriter of Ready yes, Player One, yes. the book. Yeah, he was here, and that was his DeLorean and all that. Now, it it just was a thing, and it's still, because there's still a lot of questions not answered, and that's where the second story would be great because I want to talk about the people, what the, what Atari meant to them. That is what the, you uh, will be
1: working on now that you said you will be tired from your yep. working.
2: Yeah, in fact, my wife and I will end up traveling around the country. Actually, what I did is I didn't just talk to Richard. When somebody would buy the game, especially pay $1,000 or $1,500 for a game or i talked talked to anybody that wanted to talk about it. And I I just kept that information. My intention is to travel around the country and actually go meet people like Richard in person and let him tell his story on film and start gathering all these stories and then put it together. There's the local stories, there's their stories, there's the internet story. I joke with people, it's like the internet. Everybody talks about the internet and how everything is true on the internet. We all know that's a joke. But the thing is, so many people believe so much in what's on there. So how did? and it, that's what this Atari story really is. It's one of the first examples of what the internet can do to a story. It's a simple burial in the desert in New Mexico. Well, and I'm all of a sudden, that, it's a worldwide phenomena. The whole world, from Brazil to Indonesia to Japan to all over Europe, well, everybody's like, talking yeah. about it.
3: It's like that game that, if you remember what I'm about to talk about here, it's like that game that a lot of elementary school kids played where you whisper it, you start whispering into one kid's ear and they pass it along. And by the time it gets to the long string of people, by the time it reaches the other end, it's something totally different.
2: I know what you mean, yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened because like I said, that fourth when I got that fourth phone call from that movie company, that's the first time I actually went online to see what the heck is everybody talking about. <laughs> I knew about it, but I didn't know they were talking about it. When right. I looked on there, and everybody was talking about it, I started looking at it at our time, three in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't go to bed till four in the morning for thirteen hours. I read all these stories because it was so. Some are hilarious. Some were wow, where'd they get that? Because 95% of what I was reading had nothing to do with what really happened. That's what interested me. Is like, how can so many people get it so wrong?
1: <laughs> I remember when you had a press conference at the Frankfurt Film Museum in 2015. And I was invited to your press conference as well. And I remember the moment you saw me with my Scene World t-shirt going entering the room you said finally a gamer attending
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no that's what interested me is how can that a story get so it's the best example of of a story that was very simple turning into a mega story that was all over the world and europeans were more fanatic about it than americans were Then when i spoke with europeans all over the, from france to spain all over the place there. Italy and in Germany, of course, that they were fanatic about the story. And it was just, there's something else about it that did it really happen? And then on the internet, was everybody going to come out here and dig them up? The University of Alabama was getting a dig team together to come dig them up and everybody, but nobody ever showed up. So I was like, okay, I'll dig them up. But there was all kinds of people going to do this. In fact, have you seen, if you look online, you may have seen it, the Atari Game Over poster for the movie. It's basically just a green outline of ET, the ET from the right. actual game, that, that the digital type. And it's just a black poster, but on the bottom it has some coordinates, GPS coordinates on there. That was another guy that was an expert. He knew exactly where they were. But the problem is put in those coordinates and you will not find them because they're not there. Even the movie poster doesn't have the right GPS coordinates of where the Atari's were buried. And it came out like that. So. He was one that was an expert. He knew exactly where they were, and guess what? He didn't know where they were because if you'd gone there and dug, you would have missed them quite, quite some far.
1: Yeah, I think That's... you mentioned last time that due to environmental changes, and so on, the coordinated changed after a while. I don't really remember, but. I think you said you had to make some corrections to the calculations yourself to find the right spot.
2: Yeah, then that's what happened. It was a simple system that I used, but again, the next one, I hopefully have a little more control over at this time to, to make sure the story goes that direction. Cause I'm more interested in the, the gamers themselves. Why Richard, why was it so important? In fact, I, I joked with Richard when he told me his story, he said, yeah, we played Atari at, at, in, in the shrine in the hospital. And I made a joke and said, yeah, you probably, the the nurses probably made you play those games so you wouldn't bug them. And he said, no, it was a medical tool. And that's the first time I'd ever heard that.
3: The other part of that story was when dad bought his Atari, because I didn't know that there was a one that only had four switches on it. Because at that time, back in 81, when I was in Shriners Hospital, they had a six switch model of it, which was the second version of the six switch, the light sixer. And that's what I learned on. And then when I went and I told my dad, when I told my dad that there was a six switch model and that the one he had wasn't it, he comes out and he didn't believe me. So he put me on six weeks of punishment for lying to him. And then because he didn't believe that the six switch Atari existed, he thought I was making it up because yeah, I was a kid. So kid tall tale. So when I finally found a friend of mine that could take and mail me a picture because he had a Polaroid camera in the hospital. And after I got released from there, I was still in contact with this guy. So he took a picture of the Atari there and sent it to me. And my dad was forced to lift the punishment that he put me on because I actually had the proof that this thing existed.
1: Yeah, that was a different time back then. Nowadays, you wouldn't punish anybody for video game lies or whatever, or tales. Nowadays, you have the internet and can just look up facts.
3: The other time that I was rehabilitated, because I'm going to be 50 in just a little over two months. So when I was 28 years old, I had a stroke, and Atari rehabilitated me again by getting my hand-eye coordination and everything back.
2: Yep. That's the stories I was interested in, is what it meant other... A, a deeper meaning than simply the corporate story.
3: Atari was my babysitter. The Atari was there for me when my parents were not.
2: Well, and that's one of the other stories. Another gentleman, he told me his story about when he was 12 years old. His, both his parents died in a car accident. And when he was 12 years old, he went to live with his grandparents. And they raised him. And they bought him a 2,600 and three games when he first got, when he moved in with them. And so he would play them and all that to help him get over the the morning of losing his parents. And he looks back and he remembers that. and his But now as an adult, having to make a living and support his own kids, he just realized how hard that was. His grandfather was working three different jobs. His grandmother was working two different jobs those people could not really afford to go out and spend that kind of money. And those times around $120 for a 2600 game system. And the games are going from 30 to $40 a piece. And that was a lot of money. And then he realizes how much his grandparents sacrificed to get those games and Atari for him to help him get over the loss of his parents. Wow. His stories like that work. And now as an adult, he realizes he, he, he appreciates everything his grandparents did for him. But that's just one of those moments and that's why he had to have one of these games to memorialize that time.
3: I brought my own kids who were, uh, my kids were born March 14th, 2004, April 15th, 2005. And I brought them up on Atari. It's pretty pathetic when you can be a guy that's in his thirties and you got a two-year-old girl That's taking and kicking your butt at Pac-Man, literally whipping (laughs) him. (laughs) I
1: totally can relate to that.
3: The injustice of it all. I'm going to be 50, but according to my doctors, I wasn't supposed to make it past year
1: one. Mm. It's great we have this conversation today and we can hear your story, Richard, and also hear about Joe's plan of the second movie. So uh, Joe do you already know by the way when you plan to release it when will you start filming and stuff did you make a plan for that already
2: I've got a timeline laid out but I'm not ready to announce anything at this point what <laughs> okay. what I'm looking at is um, I'm, it's the last movie I not I have no problem with Atari Game Over it was a, a sure. good movie for what mm-hmm. it was and what but I but one thing about Atari Game Over Working with Zach Pan and Jonathan Chan and just watching the process, I'm not not trying to say I know the movie process, but I learned a lot about how it works. And New Mexico right now is only number two to California as far as making movies. They make so many movies in New Mexico. Start looking at the credits on a lot of these movies that are coming out, and you'll find out they were made in New Mexico. And so we have a huge film industry here, studios and camera. In fact, everybody that was working on the project, the cameramen, the sound people and everything else were all from New Mexico. They were just subcontract hired for, by the film company to actually do it here. They did That's not movie. come from California. So what That's I'm doing movie. is putting together people, professionals, but I'm not going to release the storyline. How it comes out is going to be the way I want it to come out this time. Sure. The other one got sure. derailed. Even though it was a good story, it didn't tell the story I was hoping to tell. And sure. Don't have
1: to spill the beans today. No, no way. Of course not. Don't it, need it hijacked again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But hopefully, when you have the movie out, then we can talk about it, how it was afterwards.
2: Sure. I just want to tell the stories like Richard and some right. of these other, because again, it was amazing sitting here on this end of the computer watching the ebay and watching those dollars go ding as people are bidding and i'm thinking to myself this is some busted up games that were put in a landfill 30 years ago why would they pay that kind of money for a cartridge that doesn't probably work now some do work richard will know about this the contacts in the games they did deteriorate even the ones that are in the good boxes. I don't know if it's a copper connection. I don't know what it is inside the game. I
3: don't know that they so much deteriorated because usually like with games I get off of eBay, which are, some of them look like they've been put through a meat grinder, but not to the degree of the landfill games. But anyway, a few quick spritzes to the contact cleaner usually brought those back.
2: Yeah, and I had one that he bought it and took bought uh, centipede and he took it apart and actually and I'm not sure if that ruins the value of it, because the value is most people will not even touch them when they get them in the box. They leave them exactly the way they got them, because that's exactly the way they came out of the landfill. So I'm not sure if it ruins the value or not. That'll, over time, you'll find out. But he took the centipede apart and opened it up and cleaned up contacts and made a couple of, he said he had to do a little bit of soldering or something in there. And then he stuck it in his 2600. And on a seventy inch screen, he's playing Centipede, which is a strange I can't thing. Imagine uh, how I, pixelated that must have been. <laughs> yeah, but, he, but he videoed it for me and sent it to me. I have another young man that's out in California. The whole time he was bidding on e t, his family was recording him, and he lost seven times in a row. e
3: t is such a difficult. Thing. My dad bought it. and on day one, Right after he unwrapped it out of the cellophane, right after he got it out of the cellophane, probably about six hours later, I had the game beat.
2: Oh, yeah. You're one of the unique ones, because most people didn't. And the later games came out with cheat sheets in them to tell you how to win. I have a lot of ETs here have the cheat sheets.
3: You want to talk cheat sheet? My dad sat there for hours with Activision's Pitfall, and he had a five-subject notebook that he wrote things down front cover to back cover, detailing how to, every step how to beat the game. And I still have <laughs> that notebook to this day.
2: Wow. This other guy, he came out from California to, t- to <laughs> give me the video and to just come to the Atari dub. And he the, his family had video, his brother and his other family and his wife were all in the room as he was bidding. And which is interesting because while he was bidding out there in California on it, I was sitting at my computer in El watching eBay Watching the dollar signs go up and up and up, and now I got video of the guy that was on the other end of the computer bidding wow. and making the numbers climb. And he, like I said, he bids seven times, six times he lost, and it was like somebody had just died each time he lost. He'd lose, and he says, and then the family owner would say, "Did you win? Did you win? No, I didn't win." And everybody, oh, and then so he bid again. He didn't give up, and he kept going. And then on the seventh time he stopped because he didn't have enough money he stopped at about nine hundred dollars and his brother in the background on the video you can hear him say go jay go i got you covered do it Until he starts bidding <laughs> wow. again the whole family got
1: involved oh my god So
2: his brother threw in the money to help him get the game oh and then he god. won and then when I... he won he sat there and stared at the screen for a few seconds and everybody's asked him did you win did you win did you win, did you win? And he he turns around and looks at it and says, I just won. I got E.T. (laughs) I had this all on video. Those are the stories I would like to see again. Reactions of the games back in the day when they first came out, but also this burial. Why was it so important? That's what's the question to me. The game industry outranks the movie industry by billions of dollars every movie you, you can think of, and every famous actor that gets paid, that money doesn't even equate the gaming industry today. The gaming industry still makes more billions of dollars more than the movie industry. How did that happen when Atari, supposedly the gaming industry, died in Alamogordo when they buried those games in 1983? How did it yeah, come but, back?
1: But we also have to take into account that the 83 video game crash is a very American thing. Elsewhere, the video game industry didn't crash, just in America.
2: Yes, exactly. And in fact, I think you're the one we had that discussion. You and Andrea, the curator at the museum there, talked with him. I think I talked to you about it and some other. What was going on in Europe, and in Europe, there was no change. Nope. When it crashed in 83, it wasn't even felt in Europe.
3: It's like Nolan Bushnell said in the Atari Game Over movie. It was total mismanagement by the people who had Atari after he left.
2: Exactly. It was was their fault. Yeah, it was a, a different corporate. They were in the Warners in communication was in the movie industry, trying to run the gaming industry the same way they did with their movies. It doesn't work and that's what caused them. They made 5 million EP cartridges. But there was only 2.4 million 2,600 game consoles in the whole world. They made twice exactly. as many ET cart- cartridges than there were game consoles. But then they made a bunch of game consoles thinking everybody's going to buy ET, they'll have to have a game console. Oh, but it, again, ET didn't bring Atari down. They had lost $300 million in the quarter before already. They hoped ET would help stabilize them. It did not. And, and the reason they kept it secret that the games were being buried here. Is, can you imagine being owning stock in Atari and then the news comes out and says they just buried your product? <laughs> how long would you own Atari stock? You'd be selling that sell, stock so uh, fast,
3: yeah. Would sell. I was amused by uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who did Yard Revenge,
1: I don't remember right now.
2: Oh, Howard Scott Warshaw,
3: yeah. Loved it when he came out and explained how Yard Revenge got its name that he took Ray Kasar's name as the inspiration yeah. for it. And I'm, I'm yeah, just not ha-
2: laughing I- <laughs> Yeah, and Howard Scott Warshaw is a great guy. I got to visit with him quite a bit. We talked, and he said he'd help on this if I wanted to do it again. And I still have all his conscience. And the thing with him, he was in his mid-20s. It was a brand new industry, the game industry. Arcade games have been around for a while, but games you could play in your home. That's what was so unique about the Atari. I forget uh, what game so,
3: that, Atari, uh, that Yard's Revenge was based on.
2: I, forget. Yeah, I know, But the thing was, he had Yard's Revenge, first million games. Now, today, that's nothing. A new game comes and out with an know. hour on the internet. It's a million, million games sell in an hour.
3: And after Back that, then, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark.
2: Yeah, and then he, just right after that, he has Raiders of the Lost Ark, million games seller. A young man in his mid 20s, the whole world, he's done something that nobody's ever done before. And he admitted it. He, he basically thought he was invincible. And then he did ET, tried to do it in that short period. In and then it went weeks. terrible. In so Howard's story is great. That's another one of that personal touch of what it did, made him great and then destroyed him and then he came out of it and he's still, he's great now doing what he does. But, I would
3: love to be able to come out and say one day that I had actually taken the wheels of my wheelchair and rolled across where those games are actually buried. But I'll die. I know in my heart that will never happen.
2: Uh, I'll send you some Almagordo dirt. <laughs> I could, yeah, Some dirt from the landfill, that's the story to me. I wasn't really about the industry. There would have been no industry if it hadn't been for the gamers. Wouldn't have been any industry if those young people and those people, it wasn't just young, old people, everybody that bought those games
3: well, no lived offense. those games. When they, when they did the Atari burial, one game they should have buried, that was a non-Atari branded game, is 20th Century Fox's Fantastic Voyage. That game sucked.
2: Yeah, no, I didn't see that one in there. Uh, but... <laughs> No, it was interesting. And again, there was like 62 different titles and some names I hadn't heard of and stuff and, but I was again, following it that close, but they'd also just the Fred Red Legend everybody thought it was 3 million ET cartridges and it wasn't mm. it was ET along with the others. So by being interested about the urban legend, you
1: actually became an Atari expert when it comes to such things. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's not something I would have thought of, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you one little thing. I haven't told anybody yet. The, it wasn't just 2600s. I think it was by mistake. I have 5200s, but I've not sold any of them. There was actually fit, some car, uh, fit cartridges for the 5200 in there. The next series of the Atari, the 52? Yeah. That They were in there, too. I was actually surprised because I thought it was all 2600 stuff that they threw away. That's what yeah, everybody was so told. Many-
3: Somebody actually pointed out to me on Atari Age, and I did not know this until they pointed it out, and I was like mind blown. But every Atari model that came afterward was a multiple of the original number, 2600. Because 2600 times two, you get 5200. Times it by yeah, three, you get 7800.
2: Exactly. That's exactly how they did it. But I was surprised the 5200 was so new to actually find brand new 5200 game cartridges. I think it was a mistake. They probably grabbing stuff out of the warehouse, but there was actually 5200s in there too.
1: The question is how many people working in the warehouse know about this so detailed that they even would not. It's such a mistake.
2: Yeah, no, they were loading them up into semi trucks because they came in the big semi trucks, the big cargo trucks. Wow, 12 trucks made it in. There was supposed to be 792,000 games made it in there, and wow. it wasn't just the games, as I showed you a minute ago, wow. and uh, and then they had then there was also game consoles, 2,600 game consoles, and the controllers. I showed you one, that, uh, all three of the different game controllers that they had.
3: I remember when they were showing the stuff as it came up. I think I remember seeing in the movie a video touchpad.
2: Yeah, no, I got a bunch of those, too. They came with Star Raiders. <laughs> the Star Raiders game actually came with the game and the touchpad. Now, that
3: game is unplayable. I can't figure it out.
2: So it was more than just the games, but it was not just twenty six hundreds, It was 2,600 game systems, controllers, some 5,200 game cartridges, which, again, that was brand new. It was a new system that was coming out at the time when all this happened. So that, that had been to have been a make-a-mistake. Somebody must have just accidentally grabbed some of the wrong boxes, and they ended up I in the dump.
3: If I remember correctly, the 5200 was created to compete with the ColecoVision.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't know.
1: <laughs> I didn't know either.
2: I know the garbage side. That's my world. So I've been in that solid waste business for 40 years since I got out of the Army. After coming back from Germany, yeah, so it's, no, it's that's what interested me. It wasn't so much the industry. But who was the
3: so, reporter that was, did they ever know the name of the reporter that did the article on a landfill dig back in the day?
2: Yeah, I knew her. It was Mariella McQuetty. She was the reporter that wrote the only two newspaper articles about that back in the day when it happened. Yeah, because it,
3: it was a picture of her and one other image that you took that rectangle thing that I said about that had.
2: Oh, that's something on. else. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about 1983, the two newspaper articles. One was, local dump utilized. And the other one was titled, ET trash, go home. Right. Uh, the, two I, newspaper didn't see
3: the movie. I didn't see that one in the movie. I saw the
2: other one. Oh, there's so many things you didn't see in the movie. That's why there's enough to make a whole nother movie. They knew about the industry and they knew about Atari rising and falling and Warner communications and what went bad, what didn't. What they didn't know is all these things we've been talking about and they really want to know more about the legend, how to become such a legend. Why were they really buried? Why did it mean that much to people? Like I said, the last time that the highest paid for an ET was $1,535. The last time I did it to a guy in Portland, Oregon, and I visited with him and he told me his story. I'm not gonna get into it right now, but he told me his story. Why would you spend $1,535 for a banged up ET cartridge out of a dump. And he told me his story. To me, that was what was more, because if these people hadn't been that way, didn't care about the Atari, like Richard and others, there would have been no Atari a long time ago.
3: My father, when I was growing up, he liked to be a little bit of a showman when it came to uh, buying Atari cartridges, because There were ones that I played when I was a kid. Like one was Frogs and Flies, another was Mousetrap. He knew I liked those games. But he played a trick on me on my 11th birthday. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I still haven't forgiven him for it. But what he did was he knew that I wanted, for my birthday, I wanted Mousetrap. But he comes out and he gives me the first present. I open it up, and it appears to be a box of Ritz crackers. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to chow down on this. And I set it aside and opened the smaller box, and it was the game Frogs and Flies. And I'm thinking, okay, now i got a game to play while I munch on these. So I opened the Ritz box, and there's newspaper stuff in the box. So I start pulling out the newspaper, and there's Mousetrap at the bottom of the Ritz box. I'm like, Dad, yeah, I yeah. hate you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's so many stories out there. And that's what, to me, was more... Yeah, the, the programmers that designed the games is important. The industry was important.
3: They never got there the is... recognition they deserved, so that's why they formed the uh, other
1: companies. Activision, right. Activision, yes. yes. Activision,
3: yep. Imagine,
1: Food Entertainment, yeah. all those other ones. It's surprising that Atari is still around despite they went to bankruptcy a couple of times and reformed. Actually, they are celebrating 50 years anniversary this year.
3: The Atari that's out there now is a pale shadow of what it was back I
1: said, recreated, <laughs> reimagined. I yep.
3: didn't know that Nolan Bushnell actually put in a bid and tried to get Atari back so he could steer it back in the direction to the fun place it once was. But mm. what he told me nolan bushnell specifically what he told me he wanted to do was not only get the company back but to repurchase the original headquarters and put atari back in that building
1: he didn't tell me that when i spoke to him but okay that was already some years ago yeah nice so that's very nice i'm very glad joe to hear that you are still in the process of making the movie
2: Yep, and the story, still collecting stories. So if people have more stories, I want to hear them too. Because like I said, I want the story to be more about all those people. So if anybody has more stories and they're listening and they hear it, they don't hesitate. They can get a hold of you and you can get them a hold of me or whatever. Cause it's still <laughs> Well,
1: it worked with Richard because he wanted to tell his story today. That's why we have this yeah. conversation. You told me the first time we spoke seven years ago that you never did that you never intend doing any other interviews regarding that? Did you did that actually hold up? Did you never do any other interviews after our podcast interview seventy years ago?
2: No, I did Comic Con and and the event in Frankfurt and Rome, mm-hmm. and I didn't. No, I have not done any others intentionally. In fact, I've been asked to. Now, I've given little statements to the, the news, like when we mm. I said I was going to start selling these, the TV station came over and I gave them a little mm-hmm. quickie story. Mm-hmm. But no, I have not gone into, and a lot of these stories, I've told you a few here, but there's so many of them. I've <laughs> Nobody knows those stories. I'm holding all hey, there's, those. There's a
3: huge video game section over to Rhode Island Comic Con, which happens every year around my birthday. There's a huge video game section in there. You wouldn't believe it.
2: Classic gamers, of, you know, they do their thing, and they wanted to do an event, and it's like they were talking about coming down Magoro, and, and I just never really tried to push it or whatever, and you hear it from people, but then things happen and don't happen. No, we'll see. I don't know if the movie will be anything anybody cares about or not, but it's really something I care about, tell those stories, so it'll be fun to just make it happen and see what, see how it works, see it if anybody's interested. It's just... That it's more personal than it is, because it, it's really, again, about Richard and all these other, and it's just, I don't know, that, that angle. And when I talk to some people, when I'm, tra- I'm throwing it out, I'll talk to people to see if I'm on the wrong track here. And i talk talked to certain people, and I've talked to some other people in the movie industry. I've talked to people that these ideas of, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think of it? And try to get criticism back. No, that doesn't even make sense. It's a waste of time. Or no, I get nothing but review great reviews. Yeah, that would be a story that people would could latch onto because it's more personal. It's them. It's not some people in California. It's everybody around the world. What was going on, and why was this phenomena happening? And there's a lot of other off the wall stories I'm not going to get into today that are like that. This person was involved with that. That this happened and that happened and it was like wow, how did that all connect together? So you'd be sure. surprised some of the people that are connected to the story. Yeah. Uh, and that never came out because they focused on one subject, the industry and the programmers, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but what it did, Atari Game Over, just made it better. That, like, part one, this is what the, how the industry failed, and then this is everything, why it meant so much to everybody when that industry failed. So part two of that kind of work, that thing, carries the story forward into all the rest of what happened and including the game by atari dying the game industry people were able to actually get into the market because atari was so dominant nobody else could ever get a foothold by them dying all the other gaming industry guys that were out there trying to do it finally got a chance (laughs) and look what happened
1: this is actually how the nintendo entertainment system happened to be 85. They actually shaped it to look like an VCR system. So it's so people don't think it's a video game console. Yeah. Some people don't refer to it as a VCR. They refer because of the fact that the game pops up. They refer to it as a toaster. Perhaps, yeah. But that's actually where the Japanese took over the video yeah. game market in America. Yeah. So if Atari didn't cause the video game crash in 83, perhaps we would have a different picture nowadays. Who
2: knows? Exactly. the thing
1: that caused it was an influx of bad games by Mm third-party developers. That's how the crash happened. Yeah, Joe, what did you want to say?
2: Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing, that Atari was franchising the the logo. If you had a game, it wasn't about quality. It wasn't like when Bushnell was there. There was quality, there was testing, there was everything. The only thing that they, one of the ones they only didn't was ET, and they just assumed after Howard with two million game sellers, it's going to be perfect And when they put it out.
3: Nolan Bushnell had the right idea, because if I remember correctly, he came out and said that his mission was to make games that were easy to learn, but difficult to master. Hmm. And yeah. when Warner's got a hold of it, they went away from all that.
2: Yeah, and that guy... They were just worried about E.T. the movie was such a big seller. E. the game will be a big seller too. Uh-huh. They didn't even take time to figure out is it quality or not because just because the movie was great does not mean the game will be great. And Some of these games I have that are in plastic wrap because they have price tags from Walmart and Target and other stores where the stores were returning them, actually returning them with the, the price tags. So they actually were allowed to return them back to the warehouse. So that was unique to find in there too. They weren't games still in the shipping boxes. There were other boxes of games that had price tags from Target, twenty nine dollars and ninety five cents apiece, wow. or thirty nine dollars, and so on. So they had price tags on them still for the stores had returned them, and I have those too. But they shows you that what about the story too? People turning them back in and everything.
3: I I remember back in the day when a store, I mean, I don't know if uh, you'd remember this particular store, Joe, but it was out there for a while. I remember when a store called Two Guys actually sold Atari games.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've only found Target, Walmart, and then one other store. I'm not sure what it is. It's just a price tag with a dollar amount, like $29.95 or $35.95 or something. Everything was was (laughs) $0.95. The
3: majority of the games that we got were gotten from Toys R Us.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was a big place when we were kids. I'm
3: fine, old kitty shitty But not very many people remember that
2: one. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to clear out the leftovers, and this will be it for me as far as selling. Once these are gone, this round, there will be some left still, but there will be more being held for archive reasons. I'll have to find somebody that bought one.
3: I wish I could be like the one guy that was in the Atari Game Over, the, one, the guy that was the historian. Michael J. Mika. Yeah. I wish I could be like him, because when I saw Game Over, when I saw his inventory of games, my eyes just popped.
2: <laughs> yeah, those guys are something else. And they came down. They were actually, they were at the dig.
3: The Pac-Man shirt that had the dissolving screen. I want that yeah. shirt. I want it so bad, but I can't find
2: it. <laughs> yeah, we had people here from all over the United States. and We had people from Japan, a few people from Spain. We did the dig that day. People from all over the world came showed yeah, up. I for remember that. the
3: one guy who had a funky name. I, I think it was a Rayford Go- Goings or something like that.
2: He was. Uh... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, that's a whole other story, too. Some of the archaeologists. <laughs> That was a interesting little story too. The one
3: guy didn't have his facts straight. I don't know what country he was from, but he came out and he said that that the game, that the movie E.T. was based on the game. He said it the other way around, which is wrong because the game didn't come out before the movie. It was the other way around.
2: Yeah, no, it's that's another thing I have in the book too. Is talking about how the gaming industry took over the movie industry back in the day. The movie came out, Raiders of the Lost Ark or ET. And oh, yeah. after the movie came out, the game came out to try to get the people that liked the movie. Today, Tomb Raider, all those, some of those other games, they're games and then they turned into movies. So that is even turned around where gamers are making games. And then Hollywood's catching up to make the movie afterwards. True. And then yeah, that's another phenomena from this thing, <laughs> is that the movie industry was first, and then the gamer. Now it's the gamer dictating what the next movie's going to be. That's well, where the that's what I'm talking about. The power, all that stuff, has not been discussed. All those little there's so many pieces of this thing, I could go on for ten hours, and I could go on for like, ten days. Like, but my, I, feel, I,
3: my feeling about today's video games is. Because they make them so realistic. It takes me back to the day. I don't know if you remember these or not. But back in the 80s, they had these books that were called Choose Your Adventure books. Which had four different outcomes in it. And you could decide how the story ended. Today's video games are just that. But instead of being like that, it's a movie where you are the player. But you are directing it. And you are deciding how the game is going to end.
1: True, many games nowadays have uh, multiple endings, yeah. That's I cool. want games that look like games. I don't want to play a movie. I want to watch a movie or
3: pre- perhaps even watch a movie while playing a game. <laughs>
1: well, this is where the progress goes. Things change anyway.
2: Yeah. yeah, in fact, when I came over to Frankfurt for that event there, I learned a lot there too because that was, those were art museums that were putting on this thing and they were talking about the graphics and the pictures that are in these games now, they're such great pieces of art. If you look at the scenery, if you look at the, the effects that's exactly. gone from this little ET squirming across the screen, to works of art that are equal to any of the masters. <laughs> it's just stuff that's in these games, the colors and the how it's displayed and everything. It's just like mind blowing. And that's what part of that event was that when I came over to see you when I first met you, that I was just really thrilled with looking at that at the how they were comparing the artwork that's involved in the games. I would
3: love to see all the hand drawn artwork that Howard Scott Warshaw had when he was actually using graph paper and drawing out the game. I would love to see stuff like that, but
2: he didn't keep much of it. When he got out when he when E. T. failed, he his life failed. He said he'd never touch it again and he didn't. He he got rid of it and yeah, there'd be some. It'd be interesting to be able to see. Now his, he's doing his, the his notes and his worksheets and what he did and how he thought these things out compared to today.
3: Now he's working with the current Atari on a sequel to Yard's Revenge.
2: I don't know if it happen, but he's working on it with him. Oh yeah, he'll make it happen. He's a good guy.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So it was very good catching up with you after seven years.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. i said Next happy birthday time. i said happy birthday to you a couple of times
1: <laughs> that's true oh, no. i hope till your movie is finished it doesn't take another seven years
2: <laughs> i'll get to it. i've been busy since so i just got to put the right people together and, and right. get the stories written if you need okay. any
1: help any anyhow let me know joe and, well, and see what no, i can i'll do.
2: probably be visiting with you because like i said a lot of the background uh, yeah you're probably you're gonna hear from me
1: Okay, perfect. Let's yeah, let's keep in touch. So thanks a lot, Joe.
2: Okay, thank okay. you. Yeah, I
1: actually enjoyed yeah. this very much.
2: Wow. Okay, you're I, welcome. I mean, talking to you, Richard. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye. Bye now.